So I, I kind of tried everything that for first year. And I think, you know, all the things you, you probably have heard of, I, I tried in one shape or form, right? Social media, blogging, you know, going to network events, all of that kind of stuff. I tried, you know, freelance sites like Upwork. But what I really found was that most of those methods were just really inefficient. You know, the vast majority of really good clients are not hanging out on social media, like, you know, waiting to to find you, right? They're not on freelance sites. And, and those methods are incredibly competitive. And so what I found was far and away the most efficient way to get top quality clients was just through one-on-one conversations and referrals. Welcome to the Profitable Graphic Designer Podcast. I'm Katie Sandel, brand strategist, designer, and the CEO of a successful six-figure design agency. I teach brand, graphic, and web designers how to get more clients, increase their pricing, and build profitable design businesses in a simple and sustainable way. We have online programs, courses, and templates that you can use, as well as our coaching and mastermind high-touch experience for creatives. You can find out more about starting and growing your design business at AventiveAcademy.com. But until then, grab a cup of coffee and join me in today's podcast episode. In today's episode on the Profitable Graphic Designer Podcast, we are talking about growing a design business as a solo business owner. And I have a guest. His name is Tim, and he was able to go from zero to almost half a million dollars per year in just a couple of years. And before we dive into how he did it, and before I ask him to give us all the tips and tricks he used, I will ask him to introduce himself and tell us who he is and what he does. Well, thank you so much for having me, Katie. So my name is Tim Netzel. I am a freelance UX designer and web developer. I have been freelancing since about 2019 full time. And, you know, went from, as you said, $0 in 2019 to 480k per year. This year, I also coach developers and designers at FreelanceGPS.com on how to start and grow successful freelance businesses. Amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Like, did you go to school to become a web designer? Did you have a job? Like, what did you do prior to becoming a freelancer and how did you transition into being a freelance designer? Yeah, so I've, I've been working kind of in and around startups my entire career and, and kind of got started doing UX design really early. You know, so I've been doing it for, you know, 15 plus years at this point. Uh, I didn't go to school for it, but it's, it's been a long time fascination of mine, even, even since I was a kid, you know, how to, how to build and design websites that people wanted to actually use. And so, so I've been doing it for a while and, and really kind of just made the pivot to, to freelance, you know, when, when the time was right. Yeah. So did you have a job prior to freelancing? Yeah. So ironically, my, my freelance journey actually started with a, with a job search. 
So back in 2019, I was working for, for a tech startup, you know, in charge of, of leading product design. And we were working on a, on a new product that I was super psyched about. And, you know, we were starting to get great traction, but the, the founder of the company kind of decided that he wanted to double down on the old product. So it was kind of time for me to find something, something new. And I just wasn't finding anything I was excited about. You know, I was going on job interviews. I got a couple of offers, but nothing I was thrilled about. And I, and I said, you know, like, maybe I should just try to freelance. And I knew at the time I was going to have to figure it out pretty quickly because I was, you know, saving for a wedding and saving for buying a house. And I didn't want to kind of tap into that savings. So, you know, I, I really realized, like, if I was going to do this and I was going to freelance, you know, I'd have to figure out how to find clients quickly and and start being profitable within a couple of months. Yeah. So I'm sure our listeners would love to hear how you managed to acquire, like get your first clients when you maybe had no portfolio or reputation. Like what strategies did you use in those early days? How did you start getting clients? Yeah. So I, I kind of tried everything that for first year. And I think, you know, all the things you you probably have heard of, I, I tried in one shape or form, social media, blogging, you know, going to network events, all of that kind of stuff. I tried, you know, freelance sites like Upwork. But what I really found was that most of those methods were just really inefficient. You know, the vast majority of really good clients are not hanging out on social media, like, you know, waiting to to find you, right? They're not on freelance sites. And, and those methods are incredibly competitive. And so what I found was far and away the most efficient way to get top quality clients was just through one-on-one conversations and referrals. And so figuring out how to kind of take a strategic approach to that, that's, you know, methodical rather than sort of, you know, waiting around to, to have clients find you, I think is a really important part of building a, a successful high growth business. Yeah, definitely. And where would you meet those people to have conversations with? Is that maybe like LinkedIn or networking events? Yeah. So, so I think two approaches that I've found work really well are number one, just figuring out where your clients are hanging out online and in the real world, right? So that could be industry meetups or co-working spaces, startup accelerators, that kind of stuff in the real world. Or it could also be, you know, industry Slack groups, you know, or, or other kind of industry groups online. So going to those places and, and participating, whether that's by like adding value, if you've got something to present and share, or simply by asking for advice can be a great way to kind of start to build relationships. So that's one method I found that works really well. But I think even better is figuring out who already knows your ideal clients and can introduce you. Now, oftentimes that's other freelancers, particularly those in kind of complementary industries, right? So if you're a graphic designer, finding web developers, finding marketers, finding copywriters who are who are freelancers is a great place to start because they are already working with your ideal clients. And they're also the first people your client asks when they're looking for somebody like you. And they're not competitive, so they're going to be willing to refer you and make those introductions. And that's a huge leg up. Particularly because when when you get an introduction, nine times out of ten, you're you know either the only freelancer in your niche that 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 client is talking to, or you're just one of a handful. So your kind of conversion rate goes way up, 
right? You close way more sales that way. And it's it's really just a, a great way to get high quality leads. Yeah. And I always give this advice to designers who either listen to my podcast or our students, because at Seventive Academy, they have online courses. And then when people join, they always have questions like, how do I get clients on Instagram? And I'm like, well, clients are not really on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, some are, and I'm sure there are many designers super successful on Instagram. But as you mentioned, it's very competitive and we really have to figure out who our ideal client is and where they hang out and then meet people who know the people that we need. I also know you mentioned now niche. Like, do you have a niche or can anyone and everyone be your client? Yeah. So, you know, that's an interesting question. I know a lot of kind of freelance advice centers around like picking a niche. And I, you know, I tend to think that the way most people do it is kind of wrong, quite frankly, because it's focused way too much on, you know, kind of just like what you want to do or like on like an industry or, or something like that. And I think far more important are the problems and business challenges that your clients need help with, right? And so, you know, my advice is is to focus on on that, right? And have your niche be the result your clients most need more than anything else. So I, I do have one. Mine, you know, is very much focused on kind of conversion rate optimization and, and other things that drive revenue, and so like the vast majority of my clients are e-commerce companies or tech startups. And so, you know, while I do UX design and I do web development, those are kind of like, you know, my medium, that's not where my niche is, right? It's not like some sub-segment of that of like, oh, I only design e-commerce sites or, oh, I, you know, only do React development, right? My niche is helping clients make more money. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about that is it allows you to get very, very close to the business results, which means you get paid more money, you know, and and you tend to have more ongoing work because you're not kind of pigeonholed into just this like, oh, you know, Tim only does this one type of thing. It's oh, okay, like Tim works on this thing that is an ongoing need that we're always working on. Yeah, definitely. And now that we're talking about money and profitability, so pricing is a challenge for many designers. Like, how did you approach pricing your services when you were just starting? And how has that strategy evolved over time? Yeah, so I think fundamentally, right, there, there are three ways to price anything, right? There's market-based pricing, which, you know, kind of everyone's familiar with, right? You look at the market and just see what people are charging and try to charge, you know, somewhere in the middle of that, you know, but the challenge with that that becomes obvious very quickly is there's, you know, people willing to work for $5 an hour on Upwork and, you know, large agencies in, in places like, you know, New York and, and London charging thousands of dollars an hour, right? So like, what's the fair price? You know, there's cost plus pricing, which is, you know, typically used by companies like, you know, McDonald's or Starbucks, right? Like people who sell physical goods where they, you know, they take the cost for everything that they sell, right? Like this is the cost for a cup of coffee. And then they add, add something on top of that. And that typically, that something is typically based on some perception of how much their brand is worth, right? Or, or, or what the quality is, that kind of thing. 
And, you know, for, for freelancers, right, that cost is your time and, and what it takes to pay your, you know, your rent or your mortgage and save for retirement, that kind of thing. But again, it's like very sort of detached from like the value that the client actually gets, right? And then the final way is value-based pricing. And the nice thing about value-based pricing is what you're doing is you're charging based on the actual value that the client gets. But in a sort of like pure value-based pricing play, you're charging, you know, a, you know, a literal percentage of how much value the client gets, right? So, you know, you increase revenue by 10%, right? You take 1% of that, that kind of, that kind of thing. And that's, that's great because your incentives are really aligned, but it's so challenging, almost impossibly challenging for individual freelancers to, to pull off because there's so many things beyond your control and measuring it is hard and that kind of thing. So it's typically only used by large consulting firms. So what I do and what I really recommend doing is actually just triangulating between those three approaches, right? So use the, the market-based approach to figure out what the low end and the high end are. You use your actual costs, right? Like how much you need to earn to live and save for retirement and, you know, go out with your friends, all of that kind of stuff, you know, to, to anchor that low end, right? And say, I have to make more than this. But then you use the value that you're generating for your clients to sort of inform how much higher up the, the ladder you can go. And so when you get on a sales call with a client, right, and you're asking about their goals for the project, right? If, if their goal is to, you know, they want their site redesigned so that they can increase revenue, then your question is like, well, how much are you earning today? You know, what's your conversion rate, that kind of thing. And you can use that to figure out what the upside is for them and anchor your price based on that, right? And so, you know, it's, it's not as hard and fast as, as like pure value-based pricing, but it kind of informs this idea that, that your work is an investment, right? And it's, it's there to drive business results. And that lets you kind of grow your prices more than you could otherwise, so I think that's like the overall strategy. And what that means is, you know, you can start off by commanding at least a bit more than average, even, even in kind of your first projects, but then you really just trade up clients as you go and keep increasing your prices until you start to get, you know, a lot of pushback. Because I kind of tend to think if you're not getting any pushback, that means your prices are too low. Yeah, definitely. If your closing rates are super high, your prices are low. <laughs> okay. And so how would a, a designer now know what the average is? Because as you mentioned, we have Fiverr and Upwork, and it's just like very cheap, right? Compared to New York, London, like, so what is average? Like how much, like in between, if you can give us any numbers, maybe not from your company, you don't have to share all the details if you don't feel like, but like, what would be some average, like, projects when it comes to the money? Yeah. So, I mean, I think like the way you go figure that out is, I mean, literally like go look at prices on somewhere like Upwork or Fiverr, right? That'll give you the low end. You can usually see like, you know, high end quotes from a few places. If you, if you look around, you can also just look at like, you know, any of the salary websites and take that number and add like 30% to it, right? And that'll give you at least something kind of on the higher end. And and so, you know, I'd say start there. 
Um, I'd say typical for, for the US, right? Sort of average um, for a user experience designer is probably 125, 150 for graphic designer that may be more like, you know, $100 an hour. But those are kind of typical ranges, right? And I think the reality is the, the important thing is not like exactly what the average is because clients aren't sitting there being like, okay, this is the average and I want to make sure I pay you you know, $1 yes. less than that, yeah. right? It's how good of a job can you do justifying that that you're an investment, that you're going to drive value for the company in, in a meaningful way, in a way that advances their business goal of, of making more money or, or, or spending less money or, or something like that. And if you can do that, you can start to move up that curve pretty quickly. Yeah, definitely. And how would designers know what the value they are bringing to the table is? Well, I know you're a web designer, so you talk more about conversion rates. And we have a lot of listeners who are brand designers. So when we design a logo, provide colors and typography, there is really, it's very hard to measure that. And even if we provide websites for our clients, it's also very hard to know what the value truly is, because it doesn't, as you mentioned, it doesn't everything depend on the design or development, but also what the company is going to do that, what the company is going to do with the website, because it can be the best website in the world, but if they don't promote it, if they are not bringing traffic to the website, then nothing happens. So how can we know the true value that we're providing? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think this is really about building a, a business case more than anything else. Right. At the end of the day, when you take this kind of an approach to pricing, you're not providing like a guarantee. Oh, this is what's going to happen. Right. Because there's too many things beyond your control. Right. You have no control over whether your client executes on using the website well or any of those kinds of things. Right. But you can make an argument that what you do, whether it's your, you know, conversion rate optimization or brand design is adding value in the form of, you know, increased trust, and that that's going to translate down into more sales, right? And so ultimately, I think what you what you want to do is make that argument, but then bring in data from the company to say how much that would be worth, right? And so, you know, if you believe that a good brand, you know, is likely to convert 25% better than, you know, than a company with a really, you know, bad brand strategy or bad brand design, right? Then you can literally just take their current numbers and say like, this could be worth as much to you. And, and so, you know, again, it's not, it's not a promise this is going to happen, right? It's really just like anchoring their expectations based on the idea that you're going to move them towards some future goal. And so I think the biggest question, question there is always, what is that future goal and where are they now? And if you can, if you can answer those two questions and you literally can just ask them during the sales process, um, you can start to put some numbers out that sort of illustrate, um, you know, how important the, you know, project is to their overall goals and start to anchor prices, you know, against that. Yeah. And so in my branding and design agency, we always do value-based pricing, but also our marketing strategy, our brand, like everything is for one type of client, one size of company. So we already know what the value kind of behind every project is <laughs> before we even talk to the client, because that like that's the kind of 
client that we attract. I think that that's the other strategy. Just like knowing exactly who your ideal client is and then going there so that your prices don't vary too much. You know, some projects, yes, can be 10,000, some can be 45,000 or so, but that's still like very similar compared to, you know, like 100K websites or 2000 show it templates. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it really depends on who the clients are. And I know you also talked about scaling as a solo designer. So as a solo designer, managing workloads and maintaining quality can be a real challenge. Like, did you ever consider hiring help or outsourcing? And how did you, how did you do that? Yeah, yeah. So I do a little bit of outsourcing today. Although honestly, this is the, the first year I've dying, mostly because I haven't had to. I've just kind of kept growing myself. And I think I think that is something that that many freelancers sort of have a misconception around, but they assume they need to bring on help really early. And I think the reality is if you're not profitable or and, and not even like extremely profitable, bringing on help can be a mistake because you're really just going to end up scaling your lack of profitability further, right? And so I think the the way I tend to think about it is, you know, keep kind of trying to increase your prices and keep trying to trade up clients. And especially if you can get retainer work, right, that lets you literally say like, all right, this is my least profitable client, right? I'm going to switch them out for somebody more profitable and just keep kind of doing that. And until you get to a point where you're literally finding like, all right, you know, I'm losing 50% of deals because my prices are so high, right? You know, or or you're having tons and tons of trouble finding new deals at that price point, right? I don't see any reason to bring anybody on because the reality is you can kind of keep, you can just keep increasing your rates. Yeah. And did you, you mentioned that you made $480,000 in one year. Did you rely solely on client work or did you explore other income streams like online courses, products, or speaking engagements to increase your revenue? Yeah. So, you know, separate from that freelancing income, which is, you know, that number I'm citing, that 408 numbers is just freelancing side. I also coach, you know, devs and designers at, at freelancegps.com. And so that's a separate income stream that that I've been working on. Honestly, the, the motivation is more about kind of helping other people get the freedom and autonomy and, and, and income that freelancing provides than making more money, although there is a little bit of money associated with it. But that's kind of how I've, I've thought about that, right? I think for me, coaching and, and helping other freelancers get started is just more of a passion project than anything else because it's such a huge benefit, I think, to people's lives. Yeah. And when did you start that? So I started that about two years ago. I've got 10,000 email subscribers who I you know, kind of send, send an email to every week on how to grow their freelance businesses. I've coached a couple hundred people one-on-one which has been really rewarding as well. And then I also have um, a free course and, and a paid course to kind of help people grow their businesses as well. Yeah. And do you still do websites or this is now your only focus? Yeah. No, no. It's I've 
my actual freelance business is still kind of my main focus. You know, this is, this probably takes up, I'd say 20 to 25% of my time. But again, it's really just more a, more a passion project than anything else. Yeah, I love that. And so in those 480,000, I know you mentioned you do have some income stream from the courses and coaching, but most of the income is coming from clients. Yeah, no, in fact, all, all of it, mm-hmm. you know, my, my income from my, from my coaching is a totally separate income stream. Yeah. And how many projects or clients can you take on, let's say per year, if you're a solo designer and don't have an agency or don't really outsource? Yeah. So I, you know, I think it, I think it depends on, on what your structure is. Like for me, pretty much all of my work is retainer based. So I usually have between four and six clients at any one time, you know, and for the past year, actually for the past several years, it's been all the same clients. Like I've had very little client churn. When I was kind of earlier in my freelance journey, right, it'd be more like two to four projects at any one time. And some percentage of those would re- would kind of turn into retainers, but that's typically what it is, right? And I think it it sort of depends, right, on on how big the projects are, right? If you've got several people looking for ten to twenty hours a week, right, <laughs> then your scale kind of starts to stop there, right? But if it's all a bunch of small things that are really templatized or or whatever else, right, you could potentially do way more of them. Yeah, definitely. And so, what are your long term goals for your either design business or coaching business, do you plan to scale further or make any significant like pivots in the future? Yeah, I think on the on the freelance side, I kind of like to keep things going more or less as they are. You know, I'll probably continue to to raise my rates in certain areas, but I'm pretty happy there. On the coaching side, I'd love to do more of that. It's been it's been just so much fun and so so rewarding to watch other freelancers kind of have success that I'd love to kind of keep keep growing that side of my business as well. Okay. So when it comes to coaching, let me ask you a question. So for our aspiring designer designers, design lis- listeners, what advice do you have to offer to those who are maybe just starting or looking to grow their own design business? Like what should they do? Maybe like give us three tips on how they can grow or start their business when it comes to maybe clients, portfolio, scaling, pricing, whatever you think would be the most valuable. Yeah. So I I think the first thing is, is really just to focus on client quality. I've found that the most successful freelancers far and away are the ones with the best clients, right? You know, ideal clients are excited to pay well, because they understand and value what you do. And, and they're kind of in it, right? They see you as an investment more than they see you as an expense, right? They, they believe in, in what you're doing and how important it is to their business. Um, and so working with them is incredibly easy and it's rewarding, right? They treat you like a partner. They ask smart questions. They give good feedback. They send more business your way, right? And so if you're working with those types of clients, life is fantastic. If you're working with bad clients, though, not so much, right? Freelancing becomes a grind very, very quickly when you're working with clients who are kind of pinching pennies and, you know, constantly changing the scope last minute and and that kind of thing, right? So, you know, find high quality clients and keep trading up clients because that is going to make life just substantially easier. 
So I think that's the first point is, is figuring out who your ideal clients are and getting good at identifying ideal clients is, is huge. I think the second thing is, is really just about finding an efficient marketing channel for you, right? Instead of trying yeah. everything and anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and figuring out how to do it methodically, right? You know, and so anything you could do from a marketing method, I think you need to evaluate sort of on, on two spectrums, right? One of them is just how crowded is that channel, right? We talked a little bit about that earlier, right? Are there tons and tons of people competing for over other businesses, competing for your clients' time and attention using that channel, or is it relatively uncrowded, right? And and I think the difference, like we talked about with one-on-one conversations as an example, right, is that in that time and that moment when you're talking to someone, right, it's not crowded at all. You're like, you're the only person there. You have their attention. You, you have a, a chance to make a big impact. So that's huge. And I think the other piece is just how much time, money, and effort does it take to use that channel, both upfront and on an ongoing basis, right? I think a lot of people, when they're thinking about about marketing a freelance business, they're like, oh, like I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go on social media, I'll start a blog, whatever else, right? Those things take a ton of time and effort, tons of time upfront to just get a following of, of any significant kind, right? And then tons of time on an ongoing basis to like, you know, actively produce content that's good and attracts the right people, that kind of thing. The nice thing about one-on-one conversations is you can do it in a couple of hours a week, you know, compared to, to tens, tens of hours every, every week creating content, that kind of thing. You know, the average, you know, so-called expert advice on Upwork is if you're actively looking for, for a client, you should be submitting 25 to 50 proposals a week. I don't know anybody who can do that efficiently. Right. Yes. And so it's hugely important to think about how do I market myself in a way where I only spend, you know, three to five hours a week doing it, but doing that can get me a new client whenever I need to. Right. So that you can get a, get a client in a matter of a couple of weeks, you know, in, in five to 10 hours at most, not, you know, months or tens and tens of hours every week. Right. That, you know, that kind of thing, I think, is a recipe for disaster because it means anytime you're actively working on client work, you can't be marketing. So so figuring out an efficient way to find clients is absolutely huge. And I think finally, just having a sales process and making sure it's one that sets you up for success with your clients. That, you know, where you're setting expectations for the client so they know exactly what they're going to get you know, you're on the same page. Those things, I think, make a huge difference and sort of train good clients to be great ones because you're you're making sure that they are not going to be pushing the scope or, you know, constantly interrupting you, that kind of, that kind of thing. So set, setting limits on the number of, of calls you're going to do throughout a project, setting, you know, expectations of what they have to give to you, whether that's, you know, time to feedback or, assets or, or whatever else so that you can get your your gig done quickly and efficiently. And finally, anything that you kind of need to put a limit on, like revisions or, or any of that kind of stuff to make sure that the project doesn't like grow well beyond what you're expecting it to. Doing those kinds of things, I think, have a huge positive impact because it ensures that you're your gigs are all profitable and it ensures that you're not feeling like you have to move mountains for for your clients and you can you can really just be a professional and do a good job and have good results 
Yes. And I just want to add to everyone who, like, who's listening to this when they're on sales calls, because I know that a lot of designers focus on the deliverables and not on the results. They're usually like, oh, you get five pages, this many number of revisions. And while that is important as a scope of work, you also have to focus and talk about conversion rates, about the investment. Because if we don't present our services to the client as in, as an investment, they will see it as an expense. And that's all a mistake. And it's very hard to sell. And then we have to like push. And it's all about selling versus when you explain the value this you as a partner, as you mentioned. So yeah. yeah. And are there any books, courses, or resources that besides yours, <laughs> but that have had a, a significant impact on your approach to design and business that you would recommend to our audience? Yeah, I think um, oh, there's a book I always recommend to folks called The First 20 Hours by Josh Kaufman. And the whole idea behind the book is how you can learn a new skill enough to be competent in about 20 hours, right? And so it's, it's kind of the like the inverse of the Malcolm Gladwell, like, 10,000 hours thing where, you know, you that's how long it takes to become a, an expert at something, right? I think oftentimes as freelancers, we are asked to kind of wear new hats and, you know, try new skills. And, and I think we, you know, we really benefit from learning new skills quickly because of that. And, and so figuring out how to learn new skills efficiently is hugely important particularly when it comes to kind of growing your income, because if you can get stack a couple of complementary skills, right? If you're, if you're a designer, you can, you know, if you know a little bit of, of web development or a little bit of conversion rate optimization or, you know, a little bit of SEO, any of those kinds of things, right? Um, can make you substantially more valuable than you, than you are if you're just a designer, right? And so I think learning the, how to add, you know, just a little bit of that skill set quickly can make a huge, huge difference. Yeah. And now before we end this call, can you tell us a little bit about your online courses, your offers, your coaching, and where can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at freelancegps.com. I'm also on, on Twitter and LinkedIn, of course. And you know, all my free resources, my free courses are, are on freelancegps.com. They're, they're really designed to coach folks through these fundamentals that we've been talking about in a great bit of detail, right? So how do you identify who your ideal clients are? How do you go meet them in a way that's efficient and, you know, screen them so you make sure you're getting the right folks? And finally, how do you close the way, close the sale, excuse me, in a way that's, you know, highly profitable and sets you up for success and helps you scale your business to the next level? Okay, perfect. I will include the links below, um, somewhere in the description below the podcast episode to your website and your social media. And thank you so much, Tim, for joining me today. I'm sure that freelance designers got a ton of value and I would love to see them joining your courses or coaching programs. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us today on The Profitable Graphic Designer. In addition to this podcast, we have created some amazing online courses to help you set up your business, get more clients, and scale to the income level you desire. If you need help developing your graphic brand or web portfolio so it stands out, 
If you want to learn how to create proposals new clients will say yes to, if you're still trying to figure out how much to charge for your services, and if becoming the go-to designer for your dream clients is your goal this year, then I invite you to enroll in my signature 12-week program, The Profitable Designer, or one of our other specialized online courses. To learn more about it and get started, visit eventiveacademy.com. See you next time.